Well, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jehoshaphat. I'm sure some of you will be, perhaps some of you less so. Uh, this king of, of Judah. Jehoshaphat was King David, let me get this right, great, great, great grandson. And King David perhaps is more well known to us. King David killed the giant Goliath. Um, king David, d- despite his flaws, we read this of David in 1 Samuel 13, that he was a man after the Lord's own heart. Well, after David's reign, his son Solomon ruled. And sadly, if you know the account of Solomon, he followed the Lord seemingly for most of his days, but towards the end of his life, he drifted. And as God had warned Solomon, when he died, the kingdom of Israel was then split in two. And you had the northern kingdom of Israel called Israel that consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel and when you read the Bible I don't think you really find any good kings they they might have one or two moments but generally that there aren't kings that we would consider good that ruled in that northern kingdom of Israel and at the time of our passage the notoriously evil uh, idol worshipping king Ahab uh, is in power And then you had the southern kingdom, better known as the kingdom of Judah. That is the kingdom that Jehoshaphat ruled. And that consisted of just two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin. And unlike the northern kingdom, those of us that have studied the Bible, I think hopefully you'd agree with me, we do read of some good kings of the southern kingdom of Judah that were faithful in serving and worshipping the one true God of the Bible. And that is my first point this evening, that Jehoshaphat was a good king. I wonder if you will, if you've got your Bibles open uh, still, because I think this is really important, but it's a lot to bite off in one go. But if you've got your Bibles open, turn with me back to chapter 17, because I'd like to read perhaps the first 12 or 13 verses of chapter 17 to us. So 2 Chronicles chapter 17, because I think this is really valuable background to the passage that we're going to look at. So 2 Chronicles chapter 17, let me read from verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honour in abundance and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent the Levites, Shemaiah, uh, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah and Tob Adonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them 
they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tributes. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. We, we have to take real note of chapter 17 if we're going to grasp all that God is teaching us in chapter 18. You see, these are great verses here about Jehoshaphat in chapter 17. Verse 3 tells us that he walked in the ways of his ancestral father David, a man after the Lord's own heart. Furthermore, in verse 4, he, he, he sought the God of his father. I think this time the author is saying his father, King Asa, who was before him, who was also generally a godly king, and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. And perhaps I think Jehoshaphat is best described in verse 6. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. What a wonderful testimony. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. The NIV translated, his heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. It is to make high God's ways. And this word heart, it means his entire inner self. It's not just his heart, his mind just took delight in the things of God. I think they're a glowing summary of Jehoshaphat's personal walk with God. And then we might ask ourselves, well, what about his reign? What about his, his rule over the king of Judah? Well, let me give you three Ps to quickly, I think, describe what we've just read. One, he was prosperous. Look at verse 5. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honour in abundance. Now, I know it's not easy on a summer's evening, but that riches and honour in abundance is something we must grasp because when something is repeated in God's word, God is really telling us something. And if you look ahead to chapter 18, in the very first uh, verse of chapter 18, that's repeated. It's important. We have to understand that this man materially was seemingly lacking nothing. He had riches and honour in abundance. And verse 11, it always makes me chuckle because I, mean, I was brought up uh, in uh, a Christian home, faithfully taught the word of God. And most stories that we hear about the Philistines, well, you know them just as enemies of Israel. And here they are. I think it's the only account in the Old Testament where the Philistines are bringing um, silver to a, a, an Israelite king, uh, a, a king of Judah. It's, it's amazing. The Arabians are bringing him thousands of rams and goats. So he was prosperous. Secondly, he appears to be popular. Verse 5, it says that all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, not some. You know, I learned pretty early on when I was uh, working hard in, in the secular world and I made my first step up into management, I, I knew if someone was leaving, how big a loss it would be to my team, not just based on the work that they did, but also by the size of the collection that went around the office. I don't know what happens today because everything's by card, but in the older days... Try now to class myself at, you know, you'd have to put, you'd put coins into a collection. And if it was a weighty 
envelope that was going around the office, you'd be thinking, oh no, this is going to be a hard person to replace. They're really popular. If it was quite light, we'd well, think, well, it's a shame they're leaving, but maybe, maybe we'll find someone a bit more popular. Sorry, I'm not working anymore, so hopefully that. But here we read that all Judah gave presents to Jehoshua. That's not some, not some of the people saying, no, the whole country seems to be united here in paying their taxes, giving gifts to their king. So he was popular, and lastly, he was powerful. Verse 12, so Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful. He built fortresses, uh, storage cities. He's got these men of valour, mighty men of war in Jerusalem. He was powerful. But you see, more impressive than those three Ps are the fact that he was a great spiritual leader and teacher. He's known as, in some circles, as Israel's great teacher, Jehoshaphat. This work that he did in sending out Levites and priests and men of God to have the word of God taught. And I, I love the way he, he teaches everyone. It's such a message to us. Sometimes we can be selective. Oh, such and such needs to hear the word of God. No, everyone. Jehoshaphat here is, is really clear. He sends them out to go to all cities. Let everyone hear the word of God. Let everyone be taught this truth. Well, I think it's time just for us to pause before we move on and maybe to ask ourselves if we're a Christian here this evening, well, what would be written of us about our walk with the Lord? Would it be said of us that Malcolm took delight in the ways of the Lord? Would it be said of you? Are we fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ or are there times when we're a little bit half-hearted? On Sundays, we're fully committed to loving the Lord Jesus. But actually on Monday morning in the office, well, that gets a bit hard. When, when I'm back at school, the summer was great. All the time at Christian camps and then I go back to school on my first few days. Am I still as fully committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ? And I wonder, the, the way Jehoshaphat was actively protecting Judah from Israel... Protecting his borders, not wanting that idolatry to seep across from Israel into Judah. Well, I wonder whether or not we're actively protecting our lives from the evil influences around us. Protecting our families. There are so many idols still today. They may not be a a honed piece of polished metal or or carving, but they, they come on TV sets, our idols, or they come in our hands as smartphones. Are we teaching and sharing the word of God with others, building each other up in faith? Because that is the man that we are reading of in Jehoshaphat in chapter 17. See, Jehoshaphat was a good king. That's our background, and we'll spend the rest of our time now in chapter 18. Because we need, we need to understand chapter 17, and I think understand the kind of godly man that Jehoshaphat was, if we're going to get the whole impact of, of chapter 18, because... My second point is this, Jehoshaphat was a king who let his guard down. He was a king who let his guard down. I want you to notice with me, if you've got your Bible open, look at where trouble starts for Jehoshaphat in chapter 18. (laughs) Verse 1, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Now, Now we find out in chapter 21 that was between his son Jehoram and Athaliah, the daughter of King Ahab. But when you just read chapter 17, and then you come to chapter 18, it absolutely stuns me. 
Where on earth does this come from? Here was a man whose heart took delight in the ways of the Lord, who walked in the footsteps of his ancestral father, David, who strengthened his kingdom uh, from Ahab's evil. A man who had God's word taught to his people, who had riches, honour in abundance. What on earth made him make this alliance in the marriage of his son with the daughter of King Ahab? And Ahab, we're told in 1 Kings 16, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings before him. This was an evil man. What was it? I find myself speculating. Was it a political move? It was common practice in Bible times for political marriages to know your enemy better, secure your borders at least on one side. Maybe it was fear. Maybe Jehoshaphat had been worried about the size of the northern kingdom. It's not difficult to do the maths, is it? Ten tribes versus two tribes. Or the, the mutual enemy that we read about on the horizon, that the king of Syria, who Ahab speaks of in verse 3. Was it a lack of faith? Now, perhaps he wanted someone or something that he could physically see, an army that he could see that, that magnified the size of his own army, or a king that he could talk to about. Um, his fears or insecurities rather than trust in the Lord God who is generally, not always, but generally unseen by human eye was it overconfidence? maybe he felt that his own rule his own kingdom that was firmly established as we read of in, in chapter 17 his own faith was so strong that he could afford to be friends with Ahab and no harm would come to him He may even be able to turn Ahab's heart back to the Lord. Well, whatever the reason, I don't want to speculate, we're not told. I think a couple of things are very clear. I think one, Jehoshaphat here in chapter 18, he forgets about the Lord. He forgets about the Lord. He chose to do what he thought was best, even if that meant being allied with a sinful man like Ahab. So I want us to hone in on two clear warnings that I think are in this text and and the first is what I've just mentioned Um, but but I think it's this it's a reminder here that in the good times in the good times we can too easily forget about the Lord in the good times we can too easily forget about the Lord you see we read nothing here of Jehoshaphat inquiring of the Lord about whether or not he should partner with Ahab We read nothing of him expressing his concerns. And maybe he had some concerns. Maybe he was worried about the prospect of war. Maybe he was feeling very confident that he could win Ahab over. But he doesn't talk to the Lord about it. He doesn't inquire of the law. In the book of the law of the Lord, the same book that he was having taught uh, his, his people in Judah. We read this in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life you see chapter 17 is very clear Jehoshaphat had seen with his eyes the Lord establish his kingdom yet at a time of great riches and honour he suddenly appears to just forget all about the Lord I think, it is my belief, that as we grow as Christians, we start to realise the truth 
of what James tells us in chapter 1. This is what James says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lack in nothing. You see, I think often it is the trials of life that come our way that God uses to grow our faith. It's normally the trials rather than the good times in life that we really learn what it is to be content. We may not always see it in the midst of a trial, how God is growing our faith. But I think many of us here would testify with me that actually, when we look back, and we may not have seen it at the time, but we look back, we can see how God's hand was at work, protecting us, going before us, that God was always with us. And then actually when we come out the, side, the other side, we realise actually my faith grew, even if we didn't realise it at the time. However, the, the question for us tonight when we read this passage about Jehoshaphat is, how is our faith? How do we remember the Lord in the good times? We're drawn to him, aren't we? When, something, uh, when we have a health concern in the family, oh, I need prayer, please pray for such and such. Let's be praying for Bruce. It's right that we pray for Bruce. But what about in the good times? Times when everything's going great at work. Times when we're not under any immediate financial pressure. How is our walk like with the the Lord when everything's going well with the family? When we have no serious concerns about our health or the health of a loved one. Do we ever become complacent? I remember I was preaching at another church recently and I heard uh, the, the notices. And in particular the pastor with, with really good intentions, mentioned about the Bible study. And he said, if you're going through a hard time and you really need that, that, that period of uh, time together, of fellowship, um, with God's word being taught, don't miss the midweek meeting. And I was saying to him afterwards, do you think that's one of our problems? We, we call out to those that are going through a desperate time, prioritise the midweek meeting, you need that fellowship. Well, let me tell you, the midweek meeting is essential whether we're walking really closely with the Lord and things are going great, just as it's essential when there are tough times in life come. Sometimes, we, we acknowledge, don't we, Sam, sometimes, on holiday, we get caught out. You know, during the week, when, when the kids have got worries about school, or when Michelle and I are worried about something in the church or at work, we're praying away, and then we go on holiday, and if we're not careful, our little family Bible times can easily slip. What is our walk like with the Lord in the good times? Let us pray we will not forget about him, the way Jehoshaphat appears to do here. And I think the second warning is this. It has to be about the friendships that we make as Christians and also the environments that we place ourselves in. Let's look at chapter 18. You see, Jehoshaphat is now friends with Ahab. And what happens next? Well, we read that some years passed and then we find Jehoshaphat visiting Ahab in his idol worshipping palace, palace, and by verse 3, Ahab is asking Jehoshaphat to go to war with him. I want us to notice something that Ahab does before this request comes. You notice there's that distracting welcome for Jehoshaphat, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him, and persuaded him, or that word also enticed him, misled him, to go with him to Ramoth-Gilead. You see, this request to go to war comes in the middle of an amazing feast. 
Well, I find it so interesting that the, the, the devil often do, does that. He will try and do whatever he can to induce us, to entice us, to cloud our judgment. And let me warn you, they're often attractive things that he uses. And this softening up of Jehoshaphat, this huge party that he seems to throw, well, it, it appears to have worked because this friendship that Jehoshaphat has with this wicked man, well, it seems to deepen, doesn't it? Verse 3, this, these are the words of Jehoshaphat. Remember chapter 17. I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. I wonder what would Jehoshaphat of chapter 17, if you could take him out and talk to Jehoshaphat of chapter 18 a few years later, what would he say? I am as Ahab is. This is the man that you are protecting your kingdom from. He's a man who doesn't worship your God, the one true God. And yet there there is a glimmer of hope, isn't there? Because verse 4, Jehoshaphat says, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Please inquire. And Ahab says, well, he can help. You see, he's got these 400 prophets. Although I love to refer to these prophets, I don't think they really are prophets at all. I think they're yes men. They've got one intention, and that is to please their king. They're not interested in seeking God's word. So he asked them, shall we go to war? And and guess what they say? Yes. They have one purpose, to please Ahab. And I think finally, as as you read this account, it feels like the penny is beginning to drop in Jehoshaphat's mind. Oh dear, what have I got myself into here? I think you can sense anguish actually in his voice in verse 6. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Well, I wonder, have you ever witnessed a brother or a sister trapped in an environment, in in a friendship that is leading them to sin, that has taken them from the Lord Jesus? And they're finally starting to realise the predicament that they're in. But sadly, they feel unable to make the tough decisions to change their heading and to turn back to the Lord. Let me tell you, if you've been in that situation, it is heartbreaking. Perhaps we've been there ourselves, caught in that downward spiral of sin. Drifting from God. Well, if you know someone in that position, or indeed if if you're in that position this evening, I pray that you draw encouragement from what we see here in chapter 18. Because I think what we see here is that God is good. He is good both to Jehoshaphat and he's good even to Ahab. You see, eventually Micaiah is sent for. Now, I can't spend time talking about Micaiah tonight, but did you catch the um, sarcasm in, in verse 14 when he first gets called and yeah, go knock yourself out, Ahab. You want to go to war, go to war. <laughs> He's a great character. But ultimately, despite the pressure to agree with the false prophets to please the king, Micaiah tells him God's truth. Verse 16, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Basically, Israel, you're going to lose. And Ahab, you're going to die. They're going to be left without a shepherd. So what does Jehoshaphat do? Does he now listen to the word of God? Well, sadly, neither his evil friend Ahab or the environment that he's placed himself in, well, they don't make it easy for him to listen to God's word, to be obedient to God's truth. So he doesn't. And I find it interesting that even for Ahab, despite he doesn't seemingly believe a word of what Micaiah just said, did you see the way he comes up with the insurance policy? And he says to Jehoshaphat, his friend, uh, 
I will disguise myself and, and you go into battle with your royal robes on. You know, when we start following people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil is having his way, do you know, all he wants to do is to harm you, to harm me. We see that here. Yeah, you go in, you do this. I wonder how Jehoshaphat felt at this point. How do we feel if we've ever been trapped in sin? I'm sure he was starting to feel a little sick. Maybe he was asking himself the same question we have asked ourselves on occasions. How on earth did I get myself into this mess? Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 says this, He who walks with the wise, sorry, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So black and white. And who is a fool? Well, I think the Bible is also clear on the definition of who a fool is. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There are more warnings about the company we keep as Christians in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked uh, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? They're incompatible. Please, brothers and sisters, let us not let our guard down the way Jehoshaphat does here. When we are gripped by whatever it may be, fear, worries, uncertainty, let us not form a friendship or deepen a friendship with someone who we know is not a good influence, someone who doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not make an agreement with a work colleague or a business partner we know to be dishonest. Whatever financial pressure we may be under, rather, we must turn to the Lord and seek his guidance. Pray, open his word, the Bible, talk to a brother or sister here at church. And we also need to be mindful, don't we, of overconfidence. How many young Christians have we seen fall away, uh, convincing themselves that the uh, young boy or girl that they're going out with, that, that they're not a Christian, but oh, they're, they're sympathetic, they, they come along to church. Uh, I think that God will save them. Only eventually to be drawn away themselves. Watch out for overconfidence. And lastly, we need to be careful only of the environments that we choose to enter. I think the warnings here in chapter 18 are clear. If a man whose heart we read just a chapter earlier took delight in the ways of the Lord can slip up and form a friendship with a man like Ahab, well, it can happen to you, it can happen to me. Every day we need to put on the armour of God and use that shield of faith which will guard our heart from all the flaming arrows of the evil one, not one or two, all of them. Those influences that would turn us to sin, whether they be relationships, work opportunities, television, our time on social media, the internet, out with friends, we are in a spiritual battle. We know the influences in our lives that aren't good for us, and God knows them too. Are we going to address them? Are we going to do something about them? Jehoshaphat was a king who let his guard down. Well, thirdly and positively to finish, Jehoshaphat was a king who cried out for help, and the Lord heard him. A king who cried out for help, and the Lord 
heard him. What, what we read, I think, in verses 30 to 32 here is an amazing miracle. Perhaps if someone asks you, I'll share a miracle with me from the Bible, we won't naturally come to 2 Chronicles chapter 18, but trust me, I think this is a miracle what we're reading here, and it shows God's love and his willingness to help a sinner. You see, Ahab's scheme appears to have worked. Jehoshaphat rides off into battle and he's wearing his royal robes and he's spotted and the Syrian army uh, assume that he is the king of Israel and they turn to attack him, that they surround him. And he's in fear of his life. And we read in verse 31 that he cried out. Well, that is also translated, he shouted out for help. Shouted out. Maybe one of the shortest prayers, I think, that we read of in the Bible. Jehoshaphat is crying out for help. And you ask yourself, well, what will our God do? What will our God do? Here's a king that God had blessed immensely. But despite all that blessing, Jehoshaphat went and made this alliance with Ahab. Despite God even uh, sharing his word, don't do this. Israel will be scattered. They'll lose their shepherd. He still goes against God's word. Surely, I find myself, well, surely he deserves to pay the price for his mistakes. If the Syrian army were to kill Jehoshaphat, well, that would be justice. God had blessed him and he just turned his back. He forgot about the Lord. Uh, surely he should at least get injured. And yet Psalm 103 verse 8 tells us this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, abounding in love. Verse 10 of the same psalm, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. And I think right here in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 18 verse 31 is evidence of that truth of Psalm 103. Because we read that the Lord did help Jehoshaphat. And I think in the most amazing way, the chariot commanders, you know, there are no newspapers, there's no internet at this time. How on earth could they recognise, oh, no, actually, that's the wrong king. You know, they're coming in at speed. Oh, no, we've, we've gone for the wrong person. We need to change course. And yet it, we read that God diverted them from him. See, those of you that know my father may, may know that he has this very keen interest in military history. And I can tell you as a child... And my mum's here as well this evening. So along with my mum, we were dragged around every possible museum that there was in Europe from the Na Na Napoleonic era to about World War II, any battle museum that there was. I've been forced to read many accounts of battles, and I've never read one like this. I hope I don't upset any Americans. I have read of some Americans that went out for the wrong objective and took the wrong objective and then realised afterwards, but nothing like this that in the, in the course of a battle... Suddenly, I know you've got the wrong target here. This is God's hand at work. It's an incredible miracle, and I think it serves as a reminder to all of us that no matter what trouble we may be in, and in the case of Jehoshaphat, no matter what trouble we may get ourselves into, the best thing we can ever do is to cry out to the Lord. The psalmist says, In my distress I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. If you're a Christian here today, I think we can relate to this crying out to the Lord, can't we? We may not have been in a physical life or death situation. We may have simply been in our bedroom, pondering the meaning of life, pondering the truth of Jesus, pondering the sin in our hearts. We may not have cried out loud or shouted out, but we cried out to Jesus from our hearts, asking him to forgive us. We can relate to this, can't we? In our distress, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. 
What about if you've been a Christian for a number of years and you've slowly succumbed to temptation? What about if you're here this evening and you've got this friendship that actually is, is having too big an influence? They're not a Christian and they're turning your heart away from the Lord. And you see, and, and Satan is likely using that to say, how can you, a Christian, with all how God has blessed you, and you're caught up in this sin, how can you turn back to God? Well, don't listen to him. Trust God's word. Trust what the psalmist said. We turn to God at our need, in our need of salvation, and we turn to God time and time again as a Christian. In our distress, we cry out to the Lord, and he hears us. He heard Jehoshaphat. In closing, if you are not a Christian here this evening, well, I want you to know that that just like Jehoshaphat and indeed King Ahab, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. You see, the Bible is, is very clear. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's a scary thought. It's a scary thought because we have all done wrong in God's eyes. We have all done evil. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can justify every thought that we've had, every word that we've spoken, every action that we've done. But the hope of the gospel is is that there is someone who could justify every word that he spoke, every thought that he had, every action that he did. It is Jesus Christ, God's Son, and he willingly gave up his life so that we can know his perfection, his righteousness, and he bore our sin. He absorbed God's righteous wrath on our evil. You see, lots of us know perhaps John 3.16 in the Bible. But for me, it's John 3.36 that is more challenging. It's in the same passage, it's in the same narrative. This is what John 3.36 says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Please, please don't be like King Ahab tonight. You read the scriptures and Ahab heard the word of God on a number of occasions. And often he just refused to listen. You see, Ahab here thought he could outsmart God by disguising himself. Many in the world today believe they can disguise themselves. I'm slightly better than him or her. That that person that I saw in the news the other week, I'm I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as Ahab. Some hope their attempts of being a generous, a kind, religious person will be enough. Just in case the Bible is right, and just in case I, I will face God's judgment, I'll, I'll go along to church on occasions. However, I think what we read tonight proves the truth of God's word. You see, what God says through the prophet Micaiah is proved to be, to be true. Therefore, we can be confident that God's word will be proved true again, and we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And no amount of good deeds, no kindness... No church attendance will disguise or cover over our sins before God. Only the blood of Jesus can. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Jehoshaphat was a a king, though, who let his guard down. But he was a king who cried out for help. And the Lord gloriously heard him. Amen.